This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, this is Bird Shooter. Welcome to episode number 27 tonight. Uh, we have a chance to speak with uh, Nikki Rilon this evening. She is a uh, German professional boxer, has done multiple cross-country bicycle trips, has through-hiked the PCT, uh, instructed many skiers in the state of Colorado, and after losing her leg in 2013 after a 60-foot fall, is now one week into a through-hike on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, So tonight we're going to talk about her love for the outdoors, some favorite trips that she's done throughout the years, and the accident that uh, obviously changed her life forever in November 2013, um, and her plans to through-hike the uh, Appalachian Trail this summer. I want to thank uh, listener Brooks Clay for introducing me to uh, Nikki, and also thank our sponsors, uh, Backcountry Ninjas, who are makers of fine outdoor apparel. And you can learn more about their products at BackCountryNinjas.com. That said, here's the show. Hey, this is Bird Shooter, and tonight on the show we have Nikki Rilon, who is hiking the Appalachian Trail this uh, summer. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Nikki, you, I think you have a, a fascinating story to tell us. Uh, you were actually introduced to me by a listener who uh, had mentioned that you were hiking the Appalachian Trail this summer. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, before we get into the uh, podcast tonight, just learn a little bit about you. I know you have dual citizenship in the United States and Germany, um, how that came to be, and sort of how you first kind of got introduced to the uh, the great outdoors. Well, I mean, uh, the, the reason I got the green card, I thought I want to make a long bicycle ride uh, along the Pacific Coast Highway, so I was planning to bicycle the Highway 101 from uh, Vancouver all the way down to New Me- to Mexico City in one about six months. So six months passed by, and, and I was still still up uh, somewhere else besides being in Mexico City to fly back home to Berlin where I had my return fly. So two years later, I finally made it down to uh, Mexico City and then back up to the East Coast, and I bicycled again from uh, Key West all the way up to New York City. So two years later, I flew back home back to Germany, Berlin, um, and then two years after I was being in the U.S., um, I got pretty much close to 4B back in Europe. There's way too many more people and uh, way more crowded in compared to the North America. Um, being two years in North America on my bicycle ride, I uh, was able to get a lots of connections and um, people who I met along the way. So they helped me uh, to figure out how to get a green card. So one year later, after I spent a year back in Germany, I figured out how to get a green card, came back to the U.S., uh, spent five years, became a ski instructor, and five years later, I applied for my citizenship. So 2010, finally I got everything figured out, got my green card, got my citizenship for the U.S. and for Germany. Um, And uh, in that time being, I uh, met a bunch of... uh, skiers and ski instructors, and they told me about uh, uh, the Pacific Crest Trail. So I finished up the first ski season in New Mexico. It was also the most southern ski resort in North America. And uh, cycled from New Mexico all the way down to San Diego. 
in the time being, I was a ski instructor. I bicycled every day 2,000 feet up the mountain on my bicycle and walked in the evening as a waitress, cycled from New Mexico down to San Diego and hiked the Pacific Crest. So that meant that I was perfectly in shape. I mean, I was already an athlete. Yeah, so let me let me ask you, because you obviously have a uh, uh, a lot of experience in the backcountry. It sounds like, well, I shouldn't just say backcountry, but outdoor pursuits. So you, you bike like long distance biking you're you're a, obviously a very good skier you do some climbing you do some hiking what what is your first love is it biking <laughs> well my first love when i was growing up back in uh, germany and uh, i started doing triathlons and then i um, was in the gym and i saw these guys walking out as kickboxers and i had to uh back the trainer every every evening if you let me walk out one day with the guys and see how it feels like to be a kickboxer. So finally he gave up and said, Let's let's walk her out one day and then she will not ever ask ever again. So they saw me uh sparring with the dudes and um so they loved me and so I was the first female in the kickboxing group were being accepted to to work out with the guys. So I I fell in love with uh, kickboxing when I was a teenager. And uh, so I was an amateur kickboxer, become world championship um, in 1997 in Copenhagen. And then I uh, reached my goal in world championships. I continued on to become a professional boxer and become European champion. And uh, in 2000, that was my last fight. I was fighting for world championships for boxing, professional boxing. Um, didn't want a title. It uh, was uh, over in the third round. I got a cut in my left eyebrow. And it couldn't continue on. Um, it wasn't a rematch. I mean, the title was backhand. She got the title anyway. So um, I quit after that fight because I said to myself, that's the max you can go for it. And I didn't have any much motivation anymore. Wow. So I got to believe that being a kickboxer gives you an amazing tolerance for pain. Is that, is that correct? Which is perfect, <laughs> which is perfect for through hiking or for biking long distances, I guess. Well, no pain, no gain, right? <laughs> yeah, pain. that's what they say. No pain, no gain, no main, <laughs> as you'll soon find out. What? No pain, no there's, gain, no rain. I guess you got to throw the rain in there. Here we go. I mean, yeah. there's a will, there's a way. I mean, what I'm realizing in life, it's it's uh, you're setting your own limitations in life. And um, and people, I think, like, when I tell you you cannot do, I think they're jealous because they would like to do the same what you, you want to do, and they're trying to talk you out of it to make them feel better for themselves. So if you have a goal, you have a dream, and your your friends or your neighbors or whoever is around you tells you you cannot do it, figure it out for yourself and don't believe other people what they want to tell you. Try to see how what you can do and not and not starting believing other people. Start believing in yourself, what you want to do. Hey, so I have a question for you because um, I, I've traveled a little bit, not nearly as much as you, but Germans seem to be one of the most uh, traveled um folks on the planet right the, you find them everywhere you know the the the, the smallest places in the world they're there but americans well, the chinese people too come on really seriously really? The, chinese, the chinese people are everywhere too or the japanese people they're all over the place too do, do you have any Germans. do you have any advice to on americans on how to travel more like the secrets of getting out more well, first of all, I need a passport. I oh, realized that helps. most Americans do not have a passport, right? Oh, yeah. That comes in handy. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing you should have, a passport. And then you can jump in the airplane and go anywhere you want, right? That's easy. <laughs> how, how do you get the time? How do you get the money? I mean, you've done all these cool adventures. I mean, it uh, costs money. It, it takes time. How, how do you make that happen? 
Well, money is not an issue if you're being smart uh, and set priorities in life. So, of course, when I was bicycling for two years over North America, I didn't have the money. I was planning to be on the road for six months. So, of course, I did not have money for two years. So, I picked cherries in Canada. I uh, found a job um, in uh, Santa Barbara. I was um, working as a landscaper. And then I, uh, as my professional uh, profession as a chef, I picked up a job in Key West for a uh, couple months in the winter season and worked again as a chef in a restaurant. So that that had to be, if you mind me interrupting, that had to be a lot of fun in Key West, I'm guessing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The Ernest Hemingway house was quite interesting. I saw first time five-toe cats and uh, uh, Key West downtown partying nonstop. And uh, I had night shifts, so I slept during the day on the beach. <laughs> Got a nice suntan. You know, there's a lot of yeah. listeners that would be very envious of this lifestyle. So, hey, l- let me ask you, before we talk about the PCT, Pacific Crest Trail, for those that are not getting the uh, abbreviation there, um, w- I mean, you've done all these cool outdoor activities. When when did hiking sort of um, take take over? I mean, or was the PCT just an extension of your travels? Well, the PCT was like fascinating. I mean, I don't know saw that can it can be done uh, hiking from Mexico to Canada. So I, I done some researches. I looked it up online, and actually I met a guy who hiked the um, Pacific Crest Trail, and I met him in person in California, and I interviewed him and asked him all the crazy questions that you can ask to figure out how it has to be done. And I thought it was, it was fascinating. I never did longer than a day hike. I mean, I never did overnight hikes. I mean, I never had any experiences with it. So my story about people telling you you cannot do it, that's why I called up a German friend, he's a mountaineering dude, and asked him, hey, what do you think? Can I do that? Can I hike from Mexico to Canada, a long distance, over 4,000 kilometers? And he said, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? No way you can do it. I mean, when people telling me I cannot do, I'm getting very, very motivated to prove them wrong. So he gave me lots of motivation. I uh, ordered online all the gear because I lived in New Mexico in a very small mountain town that was not really an outfit where I can, I can get only personal um, uh, explanations what I should buy. So I was just going online, figuring out what I have to have. And um, pretty much it was like the movie Wild. <laughs> I got all the wrong gear. <laughs> I, was about, I, I was about to ask you if you saw that movie. <laughs> so so I, you, I you, you obviously have. <laughs> I fell over to the middle and I fall asleep. <laughs> You you sound a lot tougher than Cheryl Strayed, based on uh, well, I don't think I Cheryl Strayed was doing yeah. any kickboxing. Well, she did not hike the entire trail. She stopped in a, somewhere in the Sierras. I mean, she tried to go to the Sierras. I think it didn't work out. That's where I fall asleep from somewhere in between. But anyway, that's not the point. Anyway, it's like it's like when you and you're being open-minded and you're and you're realizing you're doing the right things and you and the people you see around you are hiking already the PTT and the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, well, you're getting advices. You better should take the advices, what I did. So the guy told me, the backpack is probably wrong. Go to REI. It wasn't that hard. I was in California, easy. I was going uh, somewhere in San Diego, got a new backpack. And then he told me, you don't need this, this, and this, and this. And I got rid of it, and I cut down uh, 50% of my weight. Uh, it's the new gear. Uh, I was perfectly ready to go, and the second approach was perfect. I I slimmed down on the weight um, and um, the advice of people could, could tell me. And um, and here I was go. I was going every day. Um, like in the beginning, I put on like 12 miles, uh, moved up to 15, 18, 20 mile dates. And then uh, 
uh, yeah, the longest in one day, you run out of water. Uh, I met a Belgian guy on the trail, and uh, I said, I want to hike back 10 miles and get to water. That would be 20 miles today. And then we kept going. The longest was 43 miles in one day. I mean, they called wow, me the lean, that, mean hiking a, machine. 40, 43 <laughs> miles in a single day. One, one day, yes, yes. And not on a bicycle, on feet. On that, feet, I mean, with a backpack, and that was one about uh, 25 pounds. That that's impressive. So that now you did the PCT in um in what year? That was oh six. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And with, that with was it, a heavy heavy snow year. So this year I was completely covered up with a lot of snow. So sometimes if it's not just heavy snow year, you can see the trail and you don't have to do navigation. But in '06 you could not see the trail at all anymore. It was covered up with snow. So that means um, you have to be very well. Reading maps and compass reading and uh, figure out which directions you have to go. So I wasn't really prepared for that. But uh, I was uh, able to meet another hiker. He was Irish from Ireland. And um, he got me all the way through. So we hiked together. Like the longest uh, section was nine days. You had to carry nine days of food for yourself. And um, I was running out of food. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it can be tough once in a while. But uh, what I'm saying is there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, clearly. So um, I, I would love to ask you, in terms of the PCT, like your best day on the PCT and your worst. Well, the funniest day was because I was running out of food and uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a trailhead. And this guy came across with a bunch of trouts in his hand. He was a fisherman and he was catching trouts anyway. So he looked at me. I looked like a skeleton. And you look hungry and here's a trout for you. <laughs> that was one of the funniest experiences on the trail. I mean, this is uh, interesting. All the universe works sometimes. You're starving, hungry, and here we go. Here comes the fisherman who gives you gives your fish to eat. <laughs> the trail provides. The trail provides. It's trail magic. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm realizing. I'm already uh, like 80 miles on the AT in, and uh, there's all kinds of trail magic. I mean, that's it's really amazing. Uh, I mean, uh, the people, how they help each other. I mean, people becoming different persons because people realizing everybody is there for each other and if you need a bandage and there's like uh, 10 people sitting around you, everybody's trying to help you and you figure out where they, they can find for your bandage. It's, it's just really amazing. The, the trail is a great equalizer, you know. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You're all in the same situation and you all help each other out as much as you can, right? Yep, that's so, absolutely true. And people who hiked the trail in the past... The other ones uh, who are waiting on the trailheads uh, for the hikers to provide them with, like, a barbecue. I mean, that's just happened a week ago. I just come across the trailhead, a pickup truck, uh, they set up uh, burgers and Cokes and uh, drinks and everything you can imagine um, just to to give you a better day and uh, give you a rest, give you something to bite in. And, yeah, that's awesome, really nice. So, so I'm guessing you didn't get too much of that on the PCT, right? At least not right I now. I did. Did you no, really? I did. Yeah? I did, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's trail angels. I mean, there's very famous trail angels, the softness. Um, it says, if you don't stop at the softness, that's a house they're providing. I mean, they're carrying extra water for all these people stopping every year. And they're making a, a, like a tent city almost. I mean, it's just amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean... It's just there's lots of trail magic also in the Pacific Coast Trail, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's going to be certainly more traveled this year, and hopefully that will continue. So you were talking about the AT, um, the Appalachian Trail. 
a second ago, and you're currently in on your way to Hiawassee, right? You've hiked all the way essentially to Hiawassee, which is Dick's Creek Gap. Is that right? Yeah, I am. As we speak, I'm sitting right now in a rest area uh, on an I-20 on my way back to Hiawassee. Uh, I had to I had to get off the trail. Um, my prosthetic leg um, gave me some trouble, so I was just uh, down here in Columbia, South Carolina, to figure out my prosthetic leg because uh, the scar tissue uh, got opened up and I had too much friction going on. So we fixed that um, yesterday and today, and um, so now I'm again ready to go. And um, well, I got a cold and I had to take antibiotics because of my infection. So I'm already, I lost 10 days, but um, um, I told already my sponsors that Adidas, Adidas, I mean, it's a German company, we're saying Adidas, yeah. anyway. In, so in the U.S., Adidas, right? In right. the U.S., we say Adidas, so everybody yeah. knows what I'm talking about. Wow. Um, yeah, I told them, and because they asked me, they want to sponsor me, and I said, yeah, I, I, I'm a regular person with two legs, it takes one about six months, and um, I can pull it off if I would have two legs, the fact that I'm Hiking as the first female hiker in uh, one attempt uh, with a prosthetic leg will take me a little bit longer, and that's what happened right now. I had to get off the trail. I had to take the antibiotics for eight days. Um, um, right now, getting uh, rid of my cold. Probably can hear when I'm talking. And um, in the t- same time, because I was on antibiotics, I was figuring out the better setup for my leg, what I was just finished up right now. And that's the reason I'm driving back to the trailhead. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it looks like... I'm hiking right now northbound, but if I'm running out of time to hit Katahdin in time, Katahdin shuts down the first week of October and roundabout. And I still can do it. It means I make a flip-flop. That means I'm catching a bus or um, uh, whatever vehicle I can get up to north, hack Katahdin before they shut down, hiking back where I left the trail. So it's still possible in like seven to eight months before Katahdin shuts down. Yeah, you've got plenty of time. I didn't even start the trail till April 11th, so you're way ahead of me. But hey, so let's talk about the accident for a minute because that that to me is the most amazing story of this this entire discussion and that is um that you know you're essentially hi- hiking this trail as an amputee. So um I understand that you were doing some climbing, you were in Utah. What this is 2013, do I have that correct? Yeah. 2013, November. November 1st was my accident. So can, can you tell the listeners what happened? Because I'm sure they're really curious and, and obviously are supporting you on your hike, but just how this came to be. Because when you hiked the PCT, you did it with two legs, right? And now, yeah. and, and now <laughs> it's, it's significantly different for you. I mean, a different, much more challenging experience on the AT. So how, how did this come to be? Well, I was uh, back in Germany, and I did uh, in the U.S. canyoneering a couple times already, and I came back to the U.S. 2013, and I was excited to do canyoneering again. Canyoneering, it is uh, in a canyon. You walk your way through, and instead of going up like uh, mountaineering, you go down. So um, once in a while, you have like a repel. And Montezuma Canyon um, in Lake Powell, Utah, was like a repel over 100 feet. And... Um, uh, the, the years before, when I did canyoneering, before I left back to Germany, I had a harness for my ex-boyfriend. It was pretty straightforward harness, and there was nothing very complicated to it. So I needed a new harness. I got a new harness from one of the canyoneering guys. It was a European style. I was a little bit more more into it, and I was not getting too familiarized with it. 
So I actually was canyoneering the weekend before I left my, ca- my, my harness in someone else's truck. We met up for the second canyoneering trip the next weekend. And um, so I just grabbed my stuff out of his truck in the middle of the night. Four o'clock in the morning, you start going on that canyon. And uh, usually what you do, you check everything the day before, before you're going on that canyon. So the fact that my harness was left in someone else's truck, we met up the next weekend, grabbed the harness, put it in my backpack, excited to go down for a repel again. It was like kind of a routine. You put your harness on, you kick back in, and excited, a beautiful sunshine day. And, um, hey, 100 miles, 100 feet down, going down, woo And then you click in, and um, you, don't, you don't realize how important it is to check your gear. Like, as a skydiver that I am, and a scuba diver, we have always that uh, routine. You always check each other. I mean, I go skydiving before going to the airplane, double-check. Then you jump out, the, the next guy next to me, double-check, make everything sure everything is lined up the right way. And uh, in canyoneering, it's a brand-new sport. We did not develop that kind of... Um, happening, that we look at each other's ski and make really, really sure everything is lined up the way it's supposed to be. So it's more like a individualized sport. You're still going as a group because you have to go a group alone by yourself. You cannot do canyoneering because you need a couple people to make approaches. But anyway, so I'm really looking forward to spread the word, and I already uh, gave an article uh, report on one of the canyoneering sites that it's very important that people starting having that habit check each other's back each time when you're going down in a repel. So I clicked in. I was not clicked in the right loop. The loop was a synthetic loop instead of the metal loop. So that means uh, 100 feet repel. The first 60 feet, I was going extremely fast. And I came to a complete stop and on purpose, and I was trying to get control slowly down again. And in that moment, I was trying to release myself again. I heard this funny click noise, and that I knew I was off harness. I free fall, free falling without a, without a parachute like a skydiver. Good thing was I got unconscious, so my body was completely relaxed when they came to the impact, and that helped me to prevent me from more fractures in my body. But um, I landed first on my left leg, so the left leg was completely gone. I mean, that was when I saw the x-rays, there was not much left anymore, what you could say onto it. Um, with that impact, my pelvic broke up and down, like it's called a shear fracture, and then the split open in half, it's called the open brook fracture. Then uh, my spine was in the vertebral halfway broke, that prevented me from being uh, completely um, um, uh, handicapped, like sitting in a wheelchair. My uh, ribs broken completely, all of them. Uh, my sternum was broken, and my right leg was broken also. My ski helmet actually was uh, had a huge crack in the central, and I did not even have a headache. I mean, that was kind of a really miracle that I did survive. And now, 15 months later, uh, after that rehabilitation back in Germany, bicycled, I was skiing again, and... Um, was back in my swim team. I rebuilt 40% of my leg strength so far. And um, so I had this daily routine, going to the gym and walking out. And I thought, well, I'm not very disciplined anymore longer to do that every day. I decided, let's go for a long hike and rebuild the rest of the 60% with hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I understand you were trained as an EMT. I'm sure you very quickly realized you were in pretty serious danger. Um were you completely unconscious when you hit the ground? Well, I got unconscious in free fall time. That's what I explained. It was good. And my impact, I was completely relaxed. The more you relax you are, the better it is for the impact. But as soon as I landed, I was getting conscious again. And I realized I was upside down. I was facing down. I had a really hard time breathing. 
and the friends who already repelled down will try to help me was trying to spine precautions so that I tried uh, to go as slow as possible to prevent any sort of injuries and I yelled at them, move me as quick as possible uphill that I can breathe again because otherwise you can start CPR. So they did, I was uphill, I could breathe again, but then I heard that they moved me kind of gratitude. Gratitude means when your shear, when I mean bone shear happens when two bones um, hit each other, that's called gratitude. And I realized my pelvic was broken. So I thought I can tell them how to make a tourniquet, like a huge sling around my pelvic to tie it together to prevent from bleeding out. But I said to myself, well, no big deal. <laughs> anyway, I didn't bleed envy. That was not a miracle. Eight hours later, I was still conscious. Inside the hospital, the, the surgeon was asking for consent to sign a piece of paper and he can cut off my leg without any evidence. I mean, I'm an basically in the U.S., and I uh, would agree if you showed me the x-ray, because when you see the x-ray, there's definitely not much left anymore for my right. left leg. Uh, but he did not show me the x-ray, just when he told me a piece of paper in front of my head and to sign it. And I said, there's no way I'm going to get rid of my leg. So I, I kept my leg, and that was a good thing, because a month later, uh, I was in a different hospital, with a different surgeon, and he put the procedure with them procedure that is a way better amputation because the tibia and fibia are two major bones in your leg getting fused together and it's kind of a bridge and it gives you way more support and that's helping me right now also for hiking the Appalachian Trail. So so recovery, I mean, it must have taken you some time to re- recover from that and then at what point during recovery did you decide that you wanted to take on the, the Appalachian Trail, right, which is Having done the Pacific Crest Trail, you you most certainly understood how difficult that would be. Um, can you talk about recovery and then sort of the thought process on, hey, I'm going to do the AT? Yeah, I was uh, four months um, in Denver and in Utah. And Utah was the first person in the hospital, and then three months um, in Denver with rehabilitation. So that was uh, two months in an apartment. Uh, for, for recovery. I got an invitation from my brother, brother's wedding back in Germany. And then I uh, thought, okay, let's let's go back to, to Germany and to go to my brother's wedding. And um, in the two months back in Denver, I was sitting in my wheelchair. I was trying to go to yoga. I was going to a swim team, but I was, was not being too active. And I um, started being in this, started, started getting this lazy mode. And I decided <clears throat> before I'm, I'm gaining more weight and sitting more often in my wheelchair what it has to be. I mean, routine starts kicking in, and sometimes bad routine starts kicking in. I decided, let's go for a motorbike ride. So, like six months after the accident, I decided to ride my motorbike from Colorado, Denver, all the way to Miami, Florida, to catch an airplane from Miami back home to Germany to start my rehab, starting being active again and start having this, this, this habit, being lazy and sitting in a wheelchair and starting eating more food and getting depressed. So I, that was the first part of my rehab, riding my motorbike cross country. Uh, what I successfully done, I made it all the way to Miami, to my friend's place, and then I flew from Miami back home to Germany. I thought I'd stay only a couple of weeks, but then I uh, got back uh, with the insurance program over there. I got a very good rehab place where I stayed uh, for over six weeks. Uh, did physical charity very, very, very strongly every day. Uh, went back to my German swim team, uh, bought myself a road bike, cycled pretty much every day, uh, 60, 70 miles. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it was great. I rebuilt a lot of strength from zero all the way up to over 40%. But then I um, got a little bit tired of um, staying at my parents' place. So I left my parents' home when I was 17. And then uh, eight months later, it was time to move on again. Um, so I decided to go back to the U.S. and um, start to start a long hike to rebuild the 60% the rest of the next strength that I have to have to become a ski instructor again, because uh, that's the interesting part I want to tell you guys is uh, when I uh, left the hospital, the first thing after four months, I was skiing again, and I um, applied for an adaptive ski lesson, and the ski instructor who taught me, he actually had two amputated legs, both below the knee, and he had two prosthetics, and he taught me as a, a pro adaptive ski instructor how to teach me how I can ski right now with my prosthetic leg. So that encouraged me, that gave me a lot of motivation. I, I said to myself, when a guy with two prosthetic legs, he can be a ski instructor again. I can be a ski instructor again with one prosthetic leg. And um, so that helps seeing other people from being a great example to motivate people when you're being in a situation where you need motivation. Yeah, and I, there's no doubt in my mind, Nikki, that you're going to be an inspiration for a lot of people, right, for, for what you've done and what you're doing right now. Um, and skiing is a passion for me, no question. So, I mean, what what a great way to get back back into the outdoors. So, I understand there was another man that was an amputee that did hike the Appalachian Trail. I think you said he did it in two years. Can you talk a little bit about him and what year that was? And did you have a chance to talk to him before he did the hike? Actually, I uh, was looking up uh, on the internet about uh, resources about people who probably hiked the Appalachian Trail. So I found Scott, I forgot his last name, and he's on Facebook. And I contacted him, and um, he wrote back. He sent me his phone number. I was still back in Germany at that time, so I called him from Germany here in the U.S. and I interviewed him, interviewed him over the telephone, and trying to get uh, advices from him of what he can tell me. And and actually, he has um, a both knee, so he doesn't have any knee anymore, and that's way more difficult uh, because he had to recharge um, the battery for his knee every time. So I think he had to carry solar panels and. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 2004, that's what's the year when he, when he did that. Um, but when I was talking to him, I realized it was not in one season, so it took him a couple seasons. So it was not like a, a true hike in a way. So I'm trying right now for myself to make it happening in one season. I mean, I'm below the knee. I have the advantage that I still have my knee, so it's a little bit easier, way easier than having no knee, of course. But um, it will be the first time ever... But I found so far on the internet. I don't find anybody else so far besides Scott who did it in several seasons. And uh, so it seems like I will be the first hiker ever who was, was uh, attempting to hike the entire operation trail in one season. Yeah, it's like I said earlier, it's hard enough, you know, with two legs. Um, but it sounds like you've had a pretty good experience so far. Um, obviously, you got off the trail because you were having some pain. You're you're in Hiawassee right now, is that right? You've made it up that far? Um, I'm between uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm on I-20 right now, and I have another three hours to drive to get me back to Hiawassee. And um, I got myself a hotel for the night. My sponsor... Adidas, Adidas. <laughs> I just called them before you called me, and they booked the hotel room for me tonight. It's raining like crazy right now, so I'm really happy to have a hotel room and not sleeping on the trails. 
<laughs> yeah, and, um, absolutely. So I have to straighten out my leg situation. I have a couple of legs, so I have to make a decision what parts, because right now I have a whole new setup. The, this, um, the leg that I had before is called a pin lock system that gave me a lot of friction. The scar tissue started getting open, getting infected, and I had a blood test. Uh, so some of the bacteria uh, traveled into that blood test. Uh, that created this huge infection. So I had like a, a golf-sized ball kind of a swelling. I could not fit anymore in my prosthetic leg. I had to be on antibiotics for eight days. So that's the reason I um, catched a Greyhound bus down to South Carolina, Columbia, where I spent the last two days with a prosthetic leg ball build a new system for me as like an air suction system so I don't have a pin anymore because the pin created friction with the air suction system there's zero friction and uh, so I will not have any more of the risk that my scar tissue can start getting open again and starting getting infected so that's right now 100% prevented but now I have all kinds of different things where I have to get straightened out so that's good I have a hotel and then on Saturday too and uh, I have to make a a bunch of uh, post parcels ready. So the way how to resupply yourself on, on the AT or the Pacific Crest Trail, you send packages ahead of you, so you always have to go off the trail to resupply yourself with food because you cannot carry longer than like one about 10 to 10 days food with yourself. So right now my sections are on between four and five days. So every time you get off the trail, there's like a town of a post office. So right now I'm making another package ready with a bunch of for my leg because uh, with that new leg it's a new system and needs new parts so this new parts luggage package I have to make ready tomorrow and send that off uh, to make sure I got all the right supplies for me waiting in the next post office yeah I mean that you know that definitely ups the ante for you you've been on the trail I would guess if you've made it to Dick's Creek Gap you've probably been on the trail for probably what a week and a week to two weeks um a week and a half. I, I started um, Amicola Falls. That's the approach trail where goes all the way to Springer Mountain. So that's the first approach uh, section is like eight miles long. And then when you hit Springer Mountain where the AT actually starts, <clears throat> that's then total distance all the way up to Hayawasi where I came off uh, the trail. I had I had hiked so far 80 miles. Everything went smooth until my scar tissue started getting open and infected. Ah, and yeah. uh yeah, that's that's what I said already to my sponsors. Um that happens once in a while, so you have to be very careful with my skin. Because the skin takes a long time to really being toughened up and you think about it um below your knee all of a sudden you have to this heavy prosthetic leg all the way put onto it. Of course the skin is not being that 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 tough, especially not after fifty months right away. So I have to be very careful. I have to stop uh, really quite often on the trail to take my leg off, uh, put a lotion, special uh, antibacterial lotion on my stump to prevent any any risks. And I have to be more careful doing it quite often to to prevent anything what I just explained uh, about getting an infection. Yeah, sure. So, so you mentioned, I mean, what's been the toughest part of the first week of the hike so far? And then give us the the highlight if it was that barbecue, but whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> well, the approach to is actually pretty tough. I mean, for most people, when you're starting below the hotel, it's really steep. I have to climb all up the stairs, and then uh, where the hotel is, uh, it's still steep. I mean, the first eight miles, I mean, this is 
it's quite a challenge actually because you yeah. start just starting hiking out and then the approach trail it's not part of the AT but most people going to Aymar Kuala Falls and um, it's really it's really challenging if you're not having any experience and now I'm hiking with, uh, with a prosthetic leg I mean what really really helps is of course hike, um, hiking sticks that um, that helps a lot for me as a, as a prosthetic leg but uh, I mean yeah I mean it was not too hard. I mean, I was it was okay. And um, I mean, the nice thing right now in the AT is just uh, the shelters. The shelters really makes a difference for me as an amputee. I am have a surface where I can sit onto it. When I have to pitch up my tent, everything is level. There's nothing I can hang out, hang, hang down my legs and take my leg off easily. I have to be on the ground, and it's hard to sit down anywhere. So this is really really nice on the Appalachian Trail that we have shelters. So it means also it's a kind of a different uh, kind of uh, deal hiking the Appalachian Trail because as soon as you have a shelter, there's like a get-together. It's like kind of a, a party going on. The Pacific Crest has no shelters whatsoever. So you're not really having um, crowds coming together in one spot, and you never know where you can meet other hikers. And the AT, it's really nice. You can meet all the time new hikers when you're hitting a, a shelter. So that's, that's really nice about that. Yeah, kudos to the Georgia Appalachian Trail Conference because they do they do a phenomenal job with the uh with the trail shelters and the whole trail system in Georgia. And a lot of people don't thank them enough for what they do because, you know, somebody's got to build those shelters and keep that trail clear. You're definitely right on that one. Um yeah, I mean, the, the crew party, actually, was a trail angel. That's what we call them, people who maintain the trail. We call them people, trail angels, because they're really doing a huge effort to maintain that trail and, and keep it alive the way how it is. And um, so, actually, this guy, he's a trail angel. He maintains the trail regularly, and he goes out um, with uh, special tools and cut down branches and uh, fallen off trees were lying on the on the trail and and trying to keep it as maintained as possible. So that's that's yeah. High respect for all these people out there. I want to say all to you guys. Thank you so much to keeping the trail alive. Thanks a lot. So there's another trail called the Continental Divide, and uh, so I heard that the Continental Divide has not any more girl who maintaining the trail, and um, so hopefully. I mean, a movie is being played uh, right now in the summer months about the Appalachian Trail, a hike in the woods with uh, Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. Maybe the Connell Divide, some organization is maybe interested to pick that up, and hopefully it will be maintained again. You know, you sound like a very determined woman, Nikki, so I'm betting if you make the AT that you're going for the Triple Crown and you're going to get the Continental Divide Trail next. Is that is that is that a fair guess? Well, I mean, I'm sitting only one dollar, one at a time. It's one at a time right now. It's the AT, and then I think about my next goals. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. One thing at a time. I give you. So, one, are you re- at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Are you ready for my final three big questions? Well, sure. I, I like to bike a lot, and I know you've done some amazing coast to coast trips. Um, we're going to venture away from hiking for a second and ask you your most favorite point-to-point biking trip? Well, everything when you're doing the first time is always the most exciting, of course. The first time bicycling cross-country on my two-year bicycle trip from New York City all the way back to San Francisco was, was the highlight of the bicycle cross-country. I mean, that was really amazing. Yeah. So skiing. I'm a passionate skier. You've skied, obviously, not just in the United States, but all over Europe. Your most favorite mountain to ski 
<laughs> Telluride. Really? In Colorado? Yep, Telluride. Wow. Absolutely why, why, awesome. Why is that? Um, well, the reason why, because if you have a ski instructor who can ski with you the entire day, it's like your private private guide, and he knows every inch of the whole entire mountain. So tree skiing is awesome in Telluride. So we ski trees like crazy. I mean, you would never have an idea where's the next turn to take. And you have a guy who knows exactly where to go. You just follow his tail, and you have the best time of your life. That's awesome. Yeah. And the final question, your most favorite hike that you've ever done, let, let's call it an overnight, so at least a two-day trip. It can be Europe or the United States. It could be on the Pacific Crest, where, wherever you choose. My favorite hike? Yes. Mm, that was, I mean, all the hikes are incredible. I mean, of course, hiking, hiking the Sierras, hiking the John Muir Trail, that's, that's, um, that's an amazing thing to do because the only way to see the Sierras on foot is by helicopter or you, or you approach it by foot all the way through. I mean, that's the only way how to discover the Sierras. I mean, and, and if it's covered up with snow, you have blue sky and, and, and white snow for the entire day, and this is just beautiful stuff. I mean, a funny part of that John Muir Trail, all those beautiful glacial lakes, you have like an outside temperature of uh, 20 degrees, European degrees, like whatever that is in Fahrenheit. And, uh, you know, you're crazy. I mean, you feel like you're hot and you're jumping in this, in this great uh, 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 lake. <laughs> Your heart stops stopping for like for a second and you're realizing how cold it is. You so, know, yeah. the, the, the high Sierra is is. The John Muir especially is high on my list, so um, yeah. you're, you're you're only adding fuel to the fire, Nikki. I just want to tell you that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast. They're going to want to support you. Um, I know there's some ways that they can support you. Um, how can the listeners of the podcast track you, support you? Can you can you give us some feedback there? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, I'm on Facebook. You can find me on my name, Nikki Rilon, N-I-K-I-R-E-L-L-O-N. If you want to look me up on Facebook, befriend me. I posted a fundraiser, One Leg at Once to Hike the Eighteen. That's the title of that fundraiser from CrowdRise. So I'm right now 20%. I reached so far my, my goal. And if anybody helps me to reach 100%, it would be awesome. Yeah, that's great. And... um I guess one final question for you. Do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for anyone that, uh, you know, that, that has an injury that feels that, you know, they want to take something like this on? Yeah, I, I would like to give out, uh, don't, don't believe the doctors listening inside yourself because doctors, they're not really athletes, so they're not doing a lot of sports. I think sports helps you a lot. Uh, to get blood circulation going on, and also if you see the glasses half full again and not half empty, helps a lot with pain. For example, when I was back in Germany, and all the negative um, stories from the doctors telling me uh, how bad beaten up I, I was, I was getting pretty much um, kind of a depressed too. And then, of course, I had way more pain in that time, and I was depressed. So as soon as I pulled myself out of that depression and moved on and figured out for myself a new goal and to set a new highlight for myself, I have barely any pain. Right now, I was on uh, very heavy um, uh, narcotics. I was on um, oxycodone as one of the highest opiates you can take, and I was going down on tramadol. And I was like on 400 milligrams on tramadol 
I met a boss only like uh, six weeks ago. As soon as I started hiking right now every day, I cut down on tramadol every three days. Right now, I take once in a while Tom, if I'm getting nerve pain again. So, I mean, I think it has a huge something to do with the way how you see life, how you see life in general. What I mean is, you're seeing as half empty the glass or as half full for yourself. You're seeing in a positive perspective. You can pull yourself a lot of things out of, of the negativity, negativity and, and move on, and you can do way better and start listening to people who are trying to pull you down. Your perseverance is, is so impressive. And having hiked the AT myself, I, I know what lies ahead, and I know how much fun you're going to have. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to following you on your website and just kind of hearing about your experiences. So thank you. Yeah, thank if, you for if, being if on any, the show. If anybody's interested, I can uh, hold any time when I go off the trail, maybe a live speech for a bunch of veterans who need maybe um, a little bit of motivational motivational talk. I mean, I'm more than happy to volunteer for any kind of events so people need maybe something to Yeah, Yeah, because I think, up. well, there's some wounded warriors, I believe, that just started on the AT here recently. So I'd be, I'd be almost shocked if you don't run into them at some point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but hey. Yeah. Th- thank you cool. so much Thanks. for being on the show. Um, I, I really, uh, I wish you the best, and uh, I hope the listeners will support you on your efforts. Yeah. Thanks, and I apologize for my heavy, strong German accent. No, that that <laughs> make that makes the show. Are you kidding me, Nikki? That's the best part. <laughs> hey, yeah, best, I hope everything was clear and understandable. <laughs> best best wishes to you, and I, uh, I once again, I just want to tell you how much respect I have for you, and how how much I really, really look forward to following you um, up the AT. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for your time tonight. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is Bird Shooter wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this podcast, visit Apple's iTunes store or download them directly at n2backpacking.com from the podcast tab on the secondary menu. Music from this podcast was provided by the John Zed Band. For more information on this Atlanta-based musician, visit his website at johnzed.com. That's johnzedd.com. Or search for his latest release through iTunes. This podcast is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2 Backpacking. That's the letter N, the number 2, backpacking.com.